Well, it's great to be back with you. Our series we've been calling Truth Shaped, and we've been bouncing around to different texts uh, as we've been looking at how the truth of God's Word, of God's Word shapes uh, how we live in our everyday life, just different aspects of life as the church and as citizens in this world. This week, we're calling it the truth about work, the truth about work. I'm sure all of you love your jobs and glorify God in every moment of your job, uh, but for some of us, we struggle sometimes. So hopefully the text will help us today. We're going to be primarily in Genesis, and then we're going to look a little bit at Colossians. So if you want to start with us, turn to page one in your Bibles. Page one in your Bibles should be pretty easy to find. We'll be in Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28, and then I'm going to read just one verse from chapter 2. Genesis 1, 26 through 28. We, we live in a hard world. Work is hard. Our jobs are hard. Um, we struggle to know what God wants us to do with our skills and our talents. Sometimes we wish we didn't have to go to work at all, right? Um, so hopefully God will teach us this morning what it's all about, what his design is for work. So Genesis 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I'm going to skip over to Genesis 2.15 to pick up again the work theme. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. To work it and to keep it. What we're doing today is we're going to try to understand work, God's purpose for work in our lives by looking back at creation, how God originally designed everything. In a few weeks, we'll get to address human sexuality and address a lot of what's been in the news lately, and we're going to follow really the same pattern as we look at human sexuality. We look back at how did God design us? What was his original plan? So we're going to do that today with work. In a few weeks, we'll do that with human sexuality. Um, But let me pray for us and ask God to teach us Uh, what he's doing in our jobs, what he's doing with work. God, we pray for your help this morning. We ask you to teach us from your word. We thank you that you love us, and we pray that you would use us to glorify you in our work. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's just now starting to get really hot, right? Have y'all noticed it's getting warm? This has been basically the nicest summer we've had that I can remember. Any of you that have been in Central Texas, more than a few years, noticed it's really nice this summer. Some of y'all, some of y'all are new and you're thinking, no, it's hot. No, it's not hot, okay? <laughs> hot is happening soon, but it's not hot yet. Um, and as we were preparing the sermon on work, I was thinking back to some of the miserable jobs I've had out in the heat, you know? Um, I'm fortunate and thankful that a lot of my work now I get to do in air conditioning. And that's quite a blessing, because many years I worked out in the 137 degree heat that we have in the summertime sometimes around here. Um, I remember one job in particular that was kind of a low point. Um, I was uh, doing an internship, running a college ministry at my old church, and it was like a summer break between semesters at seminary. So we were halfway through seminary, kind of tired from all the work of trying to get that seminary degree, had a couple of babies, trying to raise a family, trying to work a couple of jobs, 
Uh, and a buddy of mine was helping me out, just finding odd jobs for me so we could pay the bills and feed my family. Um, and he was kind of starting to run out of jobs for me around his business. And so this one day, I was spending the day, and it was literally 108 degrees, picking up trash in the alley behind his business. And this was alley trash in one of the rougher parts of town, right? And so I can just remember my back hurting because I'm leaning over for eight hours, stooping down, picking up stuff that I don't even know what it is or how many years it's been down in the cracks and in the grime, and it was just nasty. And it was hot. And I already have a bad back anyway, so bending for eight hours is not a lot of fun for me. The 108-degree temperatures were not a lot of fun. And I remember in that moment just having to pray myself through it, right? To get through a job like that, you know, I'm working on my master's degree to teach people God's word, yet I'm stooping and digging my hands in grime and untouchable things for eight hours, um, thinking I'm going to have to take three or four baths after I'm done with all this, right? Just the stuff I was touching, some of it I knew what I was touching too, so it made it even worse. Um, I don't know if you've been in those kind of jobs. We just think, what am I doing? This is terrible. This is horrible. And I've had a lot of jobs. This is just one example, right? I've had a lot of jobs like that. Probably you have too. You may be in a job like that right now. And you just have to say, God, help me get through this day. Help me get through this month. Help me get through this year. I don't enjoy this work. It's a, it's a grind. My mom had a phrase she used to teach us when she was a kid. She said, there's dignity in anything that's necessary. There's dignity in anything that's necessary. And even more than that, I believe as God enters into what we're doing in the world, even when it's grimy work, there's, there's beauty in any work that God gives us to do. There's beauty in any work that God gives us to do. It's not just utilitarian. It's not just there's dignity if it's necessary and accomplishes something. Because a lot of you, you're doing work that you hate, and you have no idea what the utility or the necessariness of it is, right? Your boss says, do this thing, and you're like, why? That doesn't make sense. There can be beauty and dignity even in the things that you don't understand what you're accomplishing in that moment. Just recognizing that this is where God has me. This is what he's called me to do. God wants me to work even when they're the rough jobs. I want to start off with just understanding a huge, huge idea that I think makes a big impact on us, and that is that work is good. Work is good. So often we think of work as a result of the curse. Uh, Hesiod, I believe, was a Greek historian that used to write some of the Greek myths, and his understanding and the way they thought about it was that the uh, kind of early days, the golden age of creation was that people didn't have to work at all. It was all leisure, and the fruit just popped out of the ground and everything was easy, and there were no problems in life. But what we see in what we just read in the creation account is that work was there before the curse came in, before sin came in and broke the world. So work may be harder now, but work in and of itself is good. It's part of God's design. If we had read all of chapter 1 of Genesis, we would have seen God working to fill and form the world, to create everything that we see that glorifies him, that shows us his handiwork, as Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. He's a craftsman. He's a worker. He worked six days creating the world, and then he rested and enjoyed all that he had made. And so we are to follow that same pattern as well. So I'm going to read again, uh, zeroing in on verse 27 and 28. So Genesis 1, 27 and 28. Let's think of this again. This is 
God's saying it is good, it is good, it is good. He's creating, he's creating. He's saying it's good, he's saying it's good. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female, he created them. So listen to this. We're created in God's image. That means when people look at us, they are supposed to see what God is like. So God has just spent a week working, and at the end of that week, he creates us to look like him. So that in the Ten Commandments, when he says, rest one day, because I created the world in six days, and then I rested one day, he's not just saying rest one day, he's saying work six days. Work six days like I do, and then rest one day and glorify me. Trust me to take care of things. So 27, he created us in his image. 28 says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, every living thing that moves on the earth. So we're made to be kings and queens of creation. We're made to subdue it. We are made to rule it. We are made to reign over creation. We are made to fill it and form it and shape it and make it better. We're made to work. That was God's original design. And then we all know something went wrong, right? Something went wrong. We'll get into that in the next section. But look at 2.15. Before we get to what went wrong, again, all of chapter 2 is before sin, before the fall, before everything went wrong. Chapter 2, verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Zavad and Shamar to work it and to keep it. So not only to labor, to work, to till, to plant, to cultivate, but also to watch over it, to oversee it, to manage it. So we've got both the uh, kind of the commander and the soldier thing here, right? Man is made for both. We've got the the manager and the worker here. We've got uh, keep, watch over, and shape and form. That's, that's what we're made for as human beings. All of us. We're made to work. That was his design. He put us in this beautiful garden in this paradise. Sin had not come in and he said, work. That's your job. Go work. Take this garden, take this paradise, make it bigger. Make it better. Spread it throughout the whole world. Our calling as God's people is to spread paradise. What did we do? Well, we didn't exactly fulfill that calling. But work is good, and I think we don't always understand that. And so the way I would translate it is because work is good, work is commanded. It's something we should do. Our whole goal in life should not be to escape work. We often, I, I don't know if you've ever heard this from people before when they're talking about a job, but people can talk about how great a job is because they don't have to do much work. Have you ever heard people say that? It always kind of embarrasses me when people say that. I'm like, did you mean to say that? Because that sounds kind of weird. This is a great job because I don't have to work. Wait, what? The job, the purpose of the job is to work. God has called us to work. And I understand that some jobs are unreasonable, right? Some jobs don't get the balance of the seventh day to rest, but still we are called to work. That's what the majority of our life should be like. We are called to work, to fill the creation, to shape it, to form it. Um, I have a picture here of uh, daddy and son mowing the lawn together. Any of y'all ever done this? I know we've done this some when my kids were younger. Um, you got to find ways in your family to train your kids to work. This may not, may not be it for you. Uh, it, may, it may be some other way, just bringing your kids to work. But you need to find a way to help your kids understand that that's God's design. Those of you that are younger, that don't have kids yet, maybe you haven't learned that yet. Maybe you're a young, young adult, 
in high school, in college, just starting in your career, maybe you still think the point in life is just pleasure and fun. Now, God loves pleasure. God's designed the world for pleasure. Again, it's, work is not just for utility. It's also for fruitfulness. Good comes up. Beauty comes out of our work. Good comes out of our work, right? When, when you make a garden, not only does the fruit taste good, but it smells good and it looks good and it's beautiful. So there's all this pleasure that God has wired the world for that overflows out of our work. But the main point's not pleasure. God has made us for work. We should be faithful in that work. So my first application that work is good, my first application is this. Don't look for jobs based on how easy they are. Don't look for jobs based on how easy they are. Now, when we're really gifted and passionate about certain things, that can make it easier for us, right? So that's a, that's a different angle than, I want this job because I don't have to do anything, right? That's what I'm talking about. So it's okay to look for a job where it comes natural to you. God's wired you for that. That's a beautiful thing. So when we're really gifted in certain areas, our work is almost like play. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So that's, that's beautiful. Pursue that if you can. But recognize we don't always get that. I, I had one professor that advised us this way. He said, shoot for 60%. Shoot for like 60% of your job is stuff you're good at. And that's, that's a pretty good sweet spot because there's always going to be thorns and thistles, what we're going to get into in our next point. The, the world's broken, so it's never going to be perfect. But shoot for 60%. It's, it's smart to have and pursue a job that is your thing. That's what you're gifted at. If you're good with your hands, you probably don't want to have a speaking job. If you're a speaker, you probably don't want to work with your hands. You, know, if, uh, you just pursue those things that you're wired for, but recognize there's always going to be parts of your job that you're not good at. That's just going to be part of it. There's always going to be the thorns and the thistles and the difficulties. But look for a job where you can work, where you can really work, understanding that God made us to work and work is good. The other thing I'd like us to understand is that we should train ourselves to do more. Um, our whole society has been wired uh, around um, kind of this whole self-esteem movement, um, making us feel better about ourselves, uh, pushing us towards pleasure. Um, public education often is oriented more about making kids feel good about themselves than really accomplishing hard things. It's been interesting. I think there's been a reversal of some of those trends in public education. I was watching a documentary the other day talking about the concept of grit. I don't know if you all have heard this. They're recognizing, wow, when, when kids learn this thing called grit, like how to be tough and how to fight for things, they're much more successful in life. And so recognize that. Recognize that you always want to be pushing yourself because God has indeed designed us for work. Does he want you to sleep at night? Yes. Does he want you to rest one day a week? Yes. But he wants you to work six days. That's what he's called us to. He's called us to hard work. And then lastly, I would say speak of these things to your kids. Speak of these things to your kids and those around you. Remember that work is good. That's part of God's good design. That doesn't mean you have to be dishonest and never say you had a bad day, right? We don't want to swing to the other end where we're like, work is always great, I always love it because God said it's good, so it's always got to be good. But talk about it being good. Talk about, you know, God says work is good. On your bad day, say, you know what, I had a really rough day today. But I trust that God is at work because God said that work is good. And so I was praying that he would help me to see that in my bad day today. I had to really pray that God would help me to love these people that were being difficult today or that God would help me overcome this problem that I just couldn't seem to overcome today at work. So you begin to then bring them into it. 
God made us to work because work is good. Now, the next thing I think I'm going to bring us to, this is the more obvious point. This is where most of us live. Work is cursed, okay? Work is cursed. Let's flip over to Genesis 3, 15 through 19. So work is good. It's a part of God's good design. God made work before sin came in the world, but work is also cursed. There's an aspect of work that is difficult. It's hard. This is after Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. God said, trust me, don't eat the fruit from this tree. Serpent came to them and said, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. He's holding out on you. And so they took the fruit from that tree. Verse 15, he promises to this serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first promise of Jesus in the Bible. He says he's cursing the serpent. So evil is cursed from day one. Evil is cursed from day one that a Savior is coming to defeat evil. And we see now the full picture of God did that through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, taking our sins upon himself and giving us his righteousness. So now the the ultimate victory has taken place and we're still fighting to see that completed in this life. In verse 16, to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you and pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what I want us to understand here, um, God centers uh, child-rearing in his curse to the wife. He centers uh, work outside the home uh, in the curse to the husband. But as husbands and wives, we share these burdens, right? That doesn't mean that women don't have difficulty when they work and men don't have difficulty raising children, right? It's all overlapping. Um, He's just kind of starting off with a gender-specific focus here, but men also struggle to raise children, and women also struggle in their work. And so these are two kinds of work here, really. Raising children, tilling the ground is kind of like, that's kind of everything, right? That's, that's like the big categories of covering every kind of work that exists. And he's saying it's going to be painful now. He didn't say that before sin entered the world, you wouldn't have to have kids. That's too hard. You wouldn't have to work. That's too hard, right? But that's how we often think. No, Having children, raising children, working the ground, raising fruit, building up the world, building things, making things, that was all part of God's original design. It's now harder. It's now more painful because of sin. So since we turned from God and said, I don't want you, God, I want to do it on my own, God says, okay, it's going to be a lot harder. It's going to be a lot more difficult. There's going to be a lot more sweat and a lot more pain and a lot more difficulty. So we have to distinguish that in our mind. Work is good. Raising children is good. Building things is good. Farming is good. It's just a lot harder now without God in our life because of the brokenness of sin. The whole world is groaning. It says in Romans 8, longing for God to fix everything and make it right again. So we all experience that in different ways, right? We all experience that sometimes, some seasons, some years. You're in just a sweet spot where you love your job or you're in this happy place with your kids where everything just seems to be clicking Um, but those seasons don't always last, right? Those seasons don't always last. They're often short-lived, and there's a return to the pain and the sweat of of work. I have a picture here 
uh, of a farmer burning thorns. These are box thorns. Uh, farmer has to burn those so that he can raise good crops. That's one of the primary images that we have here of the curse of work. There's going to be thorns and thistles. There's going to be stuff you don't want in your job, right? Talks about the pain in childbirth. I'm not going to show any pictures of that. I think y'all, you know that one well enough. But there's this, this pain, this difficulty, these things that get in the way of our fruitfulness. And that's part of the curse of sin. That's a result of us not trusting God. Now the difficulty is we find peace, we're restored to our relationship with God as we trust Him. There's a sense in which we enter into the future perfection of the new creation of heaven now when we trust God. Right By the Holy Spirit, we have a sense of that. We can live life with a supernatural joy even in the here and now while we sweat and cry, right? And that's the tension that we live with as spiritual people. We can praise God. We just all praised God for his goodness, even though a lot of us had terrible weeks because we know God is good. We have eyes of faith to see the future that we're entering into already now, the already but not yet. But we still struggle. We still sweat. We're still facing this pain and difficulty because the world is broken, because there are weeds and thorns for us to burn. So my question for you, and this is in our small group discussion questions for this week, is do you tend to focus more on the positive opportunities to image God at work, to show that work is good, to be like God and doing a great job with your hands and honoring him and doing your work with excellency? Or do you focus more on the negative ways that work is cursed? Think about that in your own life. As you think about your job, is your job like, oh, I got to go to work again today? Or is it, man, I have an opportunity to honor God at work? Recognize that both halves are at play there. That work really is cursed. There really is pain and difficulty there because of sin in the world. And there will be a future when God restores all things where that will be gone. But also recognize that work is good. And that even though there is pain in it now, it was part of God's good design before the curse came. It was part of God's good design before the curse came. So what should we do? How should we we work in a world where work is cursed, but God calls us to work and tells us it's good? I'd say, first of all, pray. That should drive you to pray. I mean, most of your time during the week as a spiritual being, as a person of faith, is in your job, right? Your job of teaching or being a soldier or raising children or building things or healing people, or whatever your job may be, most of your hours are spent doing that work. So pray and say, God, help me to image you in my work, even though I know it's cursed, even though it makes me want to cry, even though it frustrates me, even though it gives me blisters, even though it makes my back hurt, whatever it may be, God, help me to image you in my job. I'd also say ask for help. We talk often here about getting in community, not just gathering for worship and to hear God's word taught, but then to to break into smaller groups where you get with one or two other Christians and you share with each other. Yeah, I've been really struggling to see the goodness of work because I'm seeing right now a lot more of the curse of work. So can you help me see the bright side here? Can you help me in my job? Can you help me to honor God with what I'm doing here? Praying for a friend helps us in our own job, but also asking them to pray for us and working through that in community. And then the other side of it is to recognize that God gives us sleep and Sabbath as a gift. God gives us sleep and Sabbath. In Psalm 127, we always read that when we have a baby dedication because what we're saying in Psalm 127 is that 
those who work labor in vain if they're trying to do their job apart from God's enabling grace. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. That applies to being a builder and raising a family both. You see how that ties together? Without God, our work is vain and pointless and exhausting and nothing but curse. But if we trust the Lord to be at work through us in our job, then it can actually be a blessing. Then we can, we can put our hands back into the garden. We can be back in touch with God saying work is good and it's a blessing and it's something he's called you to and God gives us two gifts to recognize that, sleep and Sabbath. Those are, those are good things. It's okay to rest, right? So some of you are workaholics, which means you think that you're not saved by Jesus, you're saved by being productive and working hard, right? And so you need sleep and you need Sabbath to say, God, you are God. God, you are God. I'm not saved by my work. I'm not saved by being productive. A couple of great books on the subject are The Gospel at Work by Traeger and Gilbert. This is a great book. A couple of our men's groups have been studying this together. I think we may have another Sunday school class do this again soon. And then Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller. Both really fantastic books. I'd recommend these to you if you're struggling to make sense of this in your own job. Um, A quote that was really interesting in Keller's book was a woman uh, who was telling a friend that she loved being pregnant because she felt like she was productive even when she was sleeping. And the comment was, yeah, that's someone that puts their identity in being productive, isn't it? Because they're saying, I feel like I'm achieving something even when I'm sleeping. I don't have to be guilty about sleeping. Let me tell you, you don't have to be guilty when you sleep. God's made you that way. It's okay to sleep. Our identity comes from God, not from our work. Whether we see work as good or we see work as cursed, ultimately our identity comes from God. He's the one that gives us our identity. So that frees us up to sleep. It frees us up to Sabbath. Now to those of you that specialize in sleeping in Sabbath, you need to be reminded to work six days, right? And that work is good, right? See, if you focus on work as cursed, if you're focusing on that, ultimately you're going to want to run from it, right? And that's the lazy man talked about in Proverbs that says, oh, I can't go out can't go out to work today. There's a lion outside. I better sleep in. You know, there's like all these excuses. The world is cursed. The world is broken. I better not work. It's not worth it. You're focusing on the curse, so you always want to rest. If you focus too much on how work is good, you forget that you need God's grace, and you need, you need to rest. We need both sides of that. Um, the last thing I want us to look at is that work is for God. Let's flip over to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, if you're following along in the black Bibles that are under the chairs, it'll be on page 984, 984, 985, Colossians chapter 3, work is for God. This should be the direction, the focus. This is how we work. This is how we actually go about our business day to day. It says in verse 22, depending on your translation, the ESV actually debated this, and you can find a great um, video on this if you Google it on the translators of the ESV debating whether they should use slave or bondservant in the translation, right? Um, the Greek word doulos is most often translated slave, but they, in the future translations, mine has slave, and then the next iteration, they switched it to bondservant because they recognized in America and also somewhat in Britain, we think of slavery through race-based slavery, 
which was grotesque and racist and just obviously anti-biblical. But they had a different form of slavery in the first century. Slaves could be freed. It was never permanent. It wasn't race-based. They could own property. You know, so it was more like um, long-term contracts in a sense. So, I mean, there were less rights that slaves had in the first century, but they kind of had rights still. They could go to court. They weren't considered property. So, um, so a lot of the translations now are switching to bond servant to try to help us understand. This isn't exactly like, like the kind of dark things from our past where we really mess things up as a country with slavery. So I'd say the biblical view of, of American slavery as, as we knew it was really bad. Um, not that it's pro-slavery in the first century Roman sense either necessarily. Just recognize it's very different. Uh, here, this word slave or bond servant is much closer to us having to go to work if we want to buy food right? We have an obligation. We answer to someone. So slaves or bond servants. Verse 22, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. There's no favoritism here. And then chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, treat your slaves, or bondservants, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So I love this. Paul just blows up the relationships as they knew him in that day, and he says, you know what? The gospel tells a master, a manager, a boss, a commander, you're not any better than the people that you're overseeing. You have a function. You have a role to oversee them and to do it well. But you shouldn't treat people with partiality. You shouldn't think of yourself as better than them. Recognize that God sees through um, everything. He sees through the mask. He sees through the nameplate. He sees through the rank. He sees through the degrees. He knows who we really are. And God sees all people as the same. He might call us to different functions in life, to different jobs. He might give us different stations, but he sees the heart. And so going back to the beginning of the section, it says, don't serve your masters or your boss by way of eye service, right? What does that mean? Eye service? That means you're just doing what you need to do when people are watching. Have you ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand because I know you have. You're kind of sitting there doing nothing, and the boss walks in, and you're like, oh, I can act like I'm busy, right? Yeah. Um, He says, that's not how we should work. We should actually work for God. Our our purpose is not to impress the boss. Our purpose is to impress God. And so that's going to give us the energy to go against our boss sometimes if we feel like God's called us to, to do what is the righteous and good thing. If your boss is asking you to do something dishonest or wrong, you can go against your boss because you're pleasing God. But for the most part, on an everyday basis, it just means you're going to be a good employee because you're not working to impress your boss. You're working to impress the Lord. You're honoring him. You're seeing that work is good. And yes, it's cursed and you need God's help, but it's good. And it's something God's called you to. And so you're doing it as an act of worship. So worship is not just when we sing songs to God. Worship is also when we do our job. If you're a shoemaker, building the best shoe that you can make to glorify God. If you're a teacher, teaching the best lesson you can teach to glorify God doing your work with excellence to honor God. Again, Colossians 3.23 is a great verse to memorize. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. 
We're serving Jesus. We're not serving our boss. So remember not to put on a a facade, not to just work to impress people, to show people a certain vision or certain picture, but recognize that God sees your heart. He sees what's going on in the inside, which is why we need grace and forgiveness. I had a picture here. When when I was a kid, I used to love to dress up. I found a picture of a kid in a Spider-Man outfit. It's a fantastic Spider-Man outfit. It even has the built-in muscles. I know my son really liked the ones with the extra muscles. Um, our kids, boys and girls, love to dress up when they are kids. They love to be, pretend they were something they're not. Um, but what this verse is telling us is, is to be who we are and not to try to pretend. It's to really be authentic and not to wear a mask because we recognize God sees through the mask. I don't know how many of y'all thought that was the actual Spider-Man there, the five-year-old kid on the screen. Um, probably a lot of you can recognize, you can make the distinction, you can see through the mask, you know that's not really the real hero, right? That's a child dressed up as the hero. Well, God can see through us as well. We put on our little mask, we act like we're doing a good job, or we act like we're doing something, we're trying to impress the people around us. God sees through all that. So it's much better, Colossians says, to live your life in authenticity, to actually be who God has made you to be and do your work for God not to put on a facade, not to impress people, not as people pleasers or eye service, but heartily as unto the Lord. So my question for you now is if you're in the wrong job, right? I said earlier a good goal to shoot for is 60% is the right fit for you, right? If I took a show of hands, I bet a lot of you would say that's not where I'm at. A large majority of my job I don't know what I'm doing, or I hate it, or it doesn't make sense. That's a hard place to be. You feel like you're under the weight of the curse. What's the next step for you, you think, in that area? What is God calling you? What is the Holy Spirit pushing your heart to do so that you could do your job in a way that glorifies God, so that you could do your work for Him? How could you worship Him in your work, even if you don't feel like it's the right work? How many first-century bondservants do you think felt great joy and calling and like, I was made for this. Paul says, do your work unto the Lord, not, not for men. Not for men. Do it for the Lord. As we wrap up, I want to think about the example of Jesus, the truth about work. We, we have a high priest that says in Hebrews 4.15, is not unable to sympathize with us, but is able to sympathize with us. He, he knows what it's like. He's been through what we've been through. Hebrews says, He can sympathize with us in our weakness. He's been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. So we have a Savior who's been through what we've been through. He's gone through the hard stuff that we've gone through. And we have this picture in the New Testament that Jesus had the dirtiest job ever. That day when I was stooping over picking up trash and other days when I've been doing hard, grimy work, does me well to remember that Jesus left perfection to come into the garbage heap of this world, to pick us up, to reclaim us, to stoop down, to be hurt, to be broken, to be mocked, to be killed for us because he thought we were worth it. So Jesus' work was to come after us, to save us and to redeem us so that we can have lives of purpose, so that in our work we can bless others, not just thinking about ourselves and Poor me, I have a rough job, but that we can use our job as a platform both to glorify God by doing it well 
and to glorify God with our mouths as we testify to the Savior that worked for us. Let me pray for us, and then we'll respond in communion and a final song together. God, we thank you that you worked for us. God, we're amazed to see the picture of you as a working God who made creation. You did it with excellence, and you said it was good. God, you made us good, and you made us for work, and so we pray that you would help us to use our jobs as an opportunity to glorify you. We thank you that you love us. We pray that you would use us, that you would work through us, that our work would not be in vain, but it would honor you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.